I'd just like to say this gig sucks. One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Middle Age Mixtape Podcast with Clinton and Bill. Dad, what's a mixtape? <laughs> All right, well, you're going to get that at the beginning. You're going to have to edit that bit out. All right. All right. All right. All right. Uh, greetings and welcome to the Middle Age Mixtape. Um, rare treat for both of us here as Bill and I are... Here together, having a meal, having in, having a beer, and uh, some of Albany's finest, the Albany's Wilson finest. Wilson's Draft. So here's to us, Wilson's Draft. Obviously, the brewery named for uh, the volleyball in Castaway. Yeah, yeah, um, straight away. I believe that's uh, that's what it was all about. Um, so um, a good beer, a shit movie. I'll tell you that <laughs> right now. I mean, you're not here for movie reviews. You're here for uh, the middle age mixtape, and. Um, Oh, we think we've nailed a playlist for you. Yeah. So. But before we get into the playlist, Bill, what are you currently listening I to? I am listening to... I was chatting for a long time about the big four of 80s metal, which was Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, and, of course, Anthrax. Now, Anthrax are a band I came to quite late. My brother, my little brother, actually introduced me to Anthrax, and um, he was more of a fan than I was, so I decided I'd go back and have a listen to some of the stuff, and... Came across their uh, 1987 masterpiece, Among the Living, and this is this is one of the best tracks that's on there. Is I Am the Law, so it's very much how Anthrax did their business. So probably didn't play as fast as, well, especially as Slayer, and probably not quite as technical as Megadeth. But I think they had probably more of a sound for um, more harmonies, I guess, in, okay. as much as harmonies you can get in a sort of a metal track. But um, so of those four. The, the big four you mentioned. Who, who do you reckon are the most technically correct? Probably Megadeth. Megadeth. I would say Megadeth are the technically yeah. correct. Slayer are always the fastest and the heaviest. Yep. And I think Metallica, for rightly or wrongly, probably the most polished. Right. So, you know, especially if you look at sort of their three middle albums, so Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Justice for All. And then Justice for All was heavily produced, like to the right. point where they would play like one guitar riff and then cut that and then edit it again and again and again. It was almost right. micromanaged to a point. So they went the full-on production. Yeah, yeah. And near enough was not good enough. No, no. no. Okay. And that's probably why they had the big kickback with um, with the Black Album, which was a little bit more raw, but then again, not quite as good. Big call. The Black Album kind of broke them, I think, too non-metal fans yeah yeah it was, it was a cross it was a crossover album so yeah yeah but yeah anthrax i think were probably the least polished of the four but you know they most come across as more of a skate band you know oh, okay. there's yeah. them and there's suicidal tendencies roughly around so the same area metal? sort of skate metal i guess yeah so and they were they did play fast and they did play loud and i guess that's why they were part of the big four but they were probably the the smallest of the big four right okay yeah yeah, cool. Yeah, okay. and you've gone festive. Uh, look, I'm, I've told a lie here, <laughs> I, I must confess. When I say currently listening to, I did not listen to this track at all. I did. Well, I, you know when I listened to it at your house last night? Yeah. Uh, you put it on and said, I can't believe you went for this. And I said, I went for this because nothing to me epitomises the 80s more than this kind of... Sanctimonious white man yeah, saving look, the world business. And, and 
I'm not I'm not knocking it because like I look at like Bob Geldof's work with Live Aid, with Band Aid. Um the money that was raised for these things was enormous. Obviously I don't want to be cynical because I can recall my old man being very cynical about this <laughs> in nineteen eighty four, but you listen to it now and you go and to be fair, I nearly threw "We Are the World" in there, yeah, just because. Oh, it's so good. That even kind of trumps it. Mm. Sending it, our love down it, a well. Yeah, <laughs> and, but just "We Are the World." Um, it's like, oh look, England's recorded this sanctimonious um, sort of feel-good track, and uh, that that may or may not, uh, you know. Uh, change the world and America's gone here hold my beer yeah exactly uh, exactly but in a way you don't want people to stop trying so oh but, look 10 out of 10 for trying but I was saying to my daughter the other day there was this and one of the other songs on your list that single-handedly ended racism oh, in the 80s so yeah, no, no, the, the, the racism is no more the the, the, the tracks are definitely uh <laughs> Yeah, look, I'm not. I'm, I don't it's love it. Terrible. It is, it, it the is, most it cheesy, smaltzy kind of peak eighties, and <laughs> I just can't imagine you could get so many diverse people aw- uh, uh, together for it now. You know what I mean? Mm. I, I just can't imagine you could. So, oh, hello. We have uh, some guests wandering through. We're recording live on the... Uh, live in the backyard at backyard Clinton's Airbnb. And, uh, uh, Abby's here. Tom's here. I'm just vibing. Glenda's here. Tracy's here. Annabelle's here. We're all here. This Everything's the, over. Definitely the live episode. This is the live episode. Oh, Nate's... Well, where is Nate? He's, he's, watching, he's, vibing. he's, he's, watching, he's watching hairspray. He's watching hairspray. He's watching hairspray. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. Okay. So, so we'll move on. Now that we've uh, now that we've uh, gone through the guest list, tell, tell me about your list. Tell me how you came about your list. So, looking at my list again, this is eighty stuff that I came back to. I I wasn't the eighties was basically for me a period of music where I wasn't exploring you know right. what i mean this is the period of time where i lived in my parents house and of was under yeah, their you know, sort of you know time. yeah well that's it i yeah. but oh, I, was, no, yeah. I graduated primary school in 1988 so yeah. you know that's a period and so the 80s for me was basically represented by living in my parents house so you had like eurythmics and you had dire straits and I guess the music that they listened to in the eighties was the music that I listened to in the eighties. And then, do you, do you think now, like, and I had a bit of a think about this when you mentioned the Eurythmics and the Dire Straits. Like, my, I must admit, my parents weren't that into current music, if mm. you like. My mum more so than my dad. But do you think now, or, or then more than now, music has kind of separated a little bit? So. Whereas, if something was popular, it was popular across, say, thirty years yeah. of ages. So, I mean, and you mentioned Dire Straits. Brothers in Arms, I think, was probably as popular with teenagers 
as it was with middle-aged men buying their first CD players. Yeah, yeah, that was '86, um, wasn't it, yeah. Brothers and Arms? So. so I'm wondering if that was still a thing then. Whereas now, if an album like Brothers in Arms came out, perhaps gentlemen of our age might get into it. I'm not saying the same mm. as, but I don't think the kids would would wrap their ears around. No, it. well, I mean, it's not like you and I would get excited. Well, I might get excited about Kanye dropping a new album, but it's not. <laughs> it's it's that concept where it, I don't think music sort of spans the generations in the way that it once did. No, and that's I think maybe in the eighties was the last. Well, it's probably that it only because in the eighties you could only really access music in the one place. Well, I think we talked about that. Yeah, but now that we've got this diversification, where where you can get your music determines how basically you're going to receive it. Yes. And so, you know, the kids might get their music through Spotify or through SoundCloud or some form of streaming service, whereas you and I are probably more into getting a physical copy of it. Still, or at least, yeah, or at so, least yeah. owning a physical copy of it and not just having it is existing virtually in the cloud somewhere. Streaming took me a long while to come to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's, yeah. and that's probably the way. But my list coming back to it, this is music that I discovered later, later. on and really got into later on. There's certainly some acts in there that I knew existed. You know, Peter Gabriel, Kate Bush, they're acts oh. that I knew existed in the 80s and they were popular in the 80s you know we discussed that you know sledgehammer is probably peak 80s with regards to well let's talk about that one straight up right like that is a great song yeah right no two ways but it is a great song that essentially got a long way on a great video oh yeah that is peak 80s video it is and it was on my list at one point until i saw yours yeah um, but I, the the whole thing that is a a great song, great mm. album. Yeah. So itself. Yeah, it's brilliant. Is probably the most has it has a Kate Bush collaboration on it. It does indeed. There we so, go. Um, the crossover of all crossovers. The crossover of all crossovers, and one of the great ballads, I Ooh, suppose. Yeah, yeah, we did discuss that a while ago yeah, too. Yes, so I think we we talked about that on collaborations. So, Sledgehammer. So, okay, we're talking about music you got into later, but you were aware of that at the time? You yeah, been yeah. seeing that video and going... Yeah, I remember myself. seeing it on wow. on Rage and yeah. on Video Hits and, yeah. you know, MTV was huge in the 80s and MTV only showed music videos in the 80s. It didn't, yeah. like, show shitty reality shows like it does now. No. And so that's where, you know, a lot of us accessed our music from that because if you otherwise we didn't have sort of FM radio in the country where I grew up. We, we were pretty lucky in Perth. We had two things, I think, to get hold of um, videos. Like we had the MTV mm. uh, that Channel 9 used to show, I think. Yeah, with, an um, hour Richard of MTV Wilkins or something, yeah. was the Australian host or whatever. There was no actual network. Speaking of peak 80s, Richard Wilkins. Yeah, yeah, no, well, here's peak 80s for you. I still recall the night... That Richard Wilkins, alongside Robert Dippy Domenico, uh, introduced. Oh no, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll backtrack that. It and this is where my maybe my memory's a little faulty. Might have been Dermot Brereton, but introduced the video for "Need You Tonight." 
Ooh. And it was the first time I'd ever seen Need You Tonight off kick. And then that video goes straight into the other song. What is it? Um, Mediate. Yeah. You know, where yeah. They're, they're, he's throwing the signs like the Bob Dylan video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I remember that. That's So there is... There's one of my peak 80s experiences after pushing trolleys at action all night. <laughs> come home and seen that video. Um, but we also had this thing called FM TV, which was hosted by Bill Ally from 96 FM. Oh, and right. he would show videos for a couple of hours. And yeah. that was the first time I saw Sledgehammer. And then I just could not get enough of it. So that's, that's where yeah. that's... Um, that is huge. It's it's a huge track, and it's when when was it? Eighty five, I think it came out. I've got it written on my list. Eighty six. Eighty six. So mid eighties. This is this is the high point of the eighties. Clearly, you know everything's sort of gone downhill from there. And oh, for videos. Yeah, for videos, I think you sort yeah. of peaked at that. Although videos, I think became more of a. That was probably the peak of art. As a video? I, I think the thing is, a little bit after that, it became just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Whereas Peter Gabriel just turned around and goes, I've got all these new techniques at my yeah. disposal and I'll throw them all at you. And for a lot of time, that was the first time we'd seen it. Mm. You know, and you go, wow. Yeah, exactly. That is just nuts. And then other people started doing things and you're going, yeah. And that's yeah. Well, Pete did thing. it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but he kind of threw everything at it. You know, he held nothing back. Yeah. In that respect, he did some other great videos. So, um, the one for digging in the dirt off the next album off. Uh... <sighs> yeah, yeah. I think I can. Uh, yeah, I can remember vaguely remember the video, but this is the one that mostly sticks out. You, no. you can't hear this song without seeing sort you of the, can think of the video, the, the like, claymation sort of video yes, going on in the very, background. Yeah, very few people. A lot of people can remember song lyrics instantly. Very, very few people will remember not only the song lyrics but the video itself. Yeah, yeah. While they're, while they're hearing this song on the radio, so that is that's the so look. Tell me about um, Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode. How yeah. good are Depeche Mode? Yeah, how good is that? Song? Well, the, the 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 easy the easy song from the eighties to put on there from Depeche Mode would have been um, Can't Get Enough. Yes, because that that's how most people think of Depeche, Depeche Mode. Mode. In the eighties, Personal Jesus was like almost a bit of a comeback song. For it was, it was, yeah. yeah. So sort of... the album came out in nineteen ninety. <laughs> yes, um, but this song was about eighty nine. Yeah, it? yeah, released it was a, back yeah, end of eighty nine, yeah, and so you've just snuck in there. And it was, you wouldn't say it was a change of pace, but you know, obviously Dave Gahan's had some significant sort of drug yeah. issues going on. And I think the, this whole album just about fell apart because he'd gone a little bit sort of too heavy on the gear. Right, yeah. Um, and it was one of these albums that really had a lot of tension running through it. But it's it's such a good album and a strong album lyrically and musically that 
you know, it, being right at that sort of tail end, they've taken every single thing that the 80s has brought. You know, you've had your new yeah. wave and your Eurobeat and, you and, know, and the really rise of dance music tapped, and everything. And into a bit of that Manchester scene. Yeah. A little bit there. Like, yeah, a little bit, yeah. So there's a little bit of I Manchester like in there as well. I, so. I seem to recall hearing um, the Happy Mondays for the first time around this time and also hearing um, the Stone Roses at a similar time so that these... Things at all sort of to be fair, I wouldn't be surprised if Sean and Dave bought from the same dealer. Oh, well, that, there's the possibility. But yeah. I just, I seem to recall hearing those songs a, a lot at the same time so that they'd all Yeah, sort of it, all, it all sort of exploded, I guess, you know, that second, the second summer of love in England, which was 88, 89. So, um, they're, um, yeah, so you've had this, this explosion again of this British sound coming out of Manchester. And I, I don't yeah. think Depeche Mode were actually no, I don't think around they were, that. So. Think, I'm, I'm thinking they maybe started hearing some of this stuff. Yeah, it's, and, it's very possible that, you know, that rise of acid bit. house or house yeah, music yeah, in England, music, you know, and the exactly. club culture within there is definitely, yeah. you know, been an, an influence on the music that they've created because the Summer of Love in the UK was... 88. 88 and 89. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, that rise in rave culture, big illegal yeah. raves in the field and the Criminal Justice Act. And yeah. So, you know, they've been able to incorporate, you know, that big sort of open air and, and sound into a studio. House music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, so let's talk about Kate Bush, mm, your favourite. Yes, our favourite. Our favourite. Our favourite. This would have been, I think... To some degree, commercially at least, her last hurrah. The Hounds of Love. The Hounds of Love is certainly her biggest album, commercially and probably critically. I don't think she... She really didn't do anything... I really recall much after the... I think she she very much retreated back into herself. I think yeah. Hounds of Love, because it was so popular, sort of opened Kate up to areas of criticism I don't think she was particularly comfortable with. Right. And so she's sort of retreated and gone back into making music for her sake, you know what I mean? And then she's taken a lot of time off to raise a son and has made a comeback within the last sort of 10 years or so, but not certainly not to the extent. She's probably never going to be as critically acclaimed as she was when she did Hounds of Love, but sort of... Over like within Wuthering Heights, which was seventy eight, yeah. I think, through to Hounds of Love in eighty four, eighty five, you couldn't have got a bigger female act than Kate Bush. No, you I know, think that's the thing. You, you you look at that and you go, she had a ten year run. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so that noise there is me offering Bill another. Character. Clearly, clearly, we're doing this one under the influence. Under the influence of alcohol, but. <laughs> uh, so, this this is only going to make the music better. What I could think. possibly go wrong? I think is the motto. Now, uh, the next one I want to talk about, and again, I keep thinking about what I have forgotten about. Um, I've every every now and again you throw up a tune into our list where I go, I had completely forgotten about this band. This is public image, isn't it? It is public image because I, I had completely forgot, and I must admit I don't think I got into them oh, until about eighty seven, at a friend 
played some stuff to me, including this track. What is it? Um, the Order of Death. Order of Death. This is what you want. This is what you get. Yeah, so that's, um, the, that's the name of the album. And it's a very simple loop. I mean... No, but see, again, so this was new. Mm. This was... Uh, uh, when, when I first heard this, even even coming late to the party, I think it's early, this is mid-80s as well, and I first heard it about 87 or 88, mm. maybe 87, so last year of high school for me. We're still, the, 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 the idea that you can just basically loop a lyric over a, yeah. Over a, 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 a fairly simple sample and just loop it. And you go, this this, this is brilliant. Mm. This is just, um, this is unreal. Yeah. So yeah, tell me how you found it. Well, again, this is from my younger brother, actually. My younger right. brother was alarmingly proficient at finding music that I'd never heard before. And I don't yeah, know how... So he, how much younger was your brother? My brother's nearly three years younger than me. So, okay. So yeah. I don't know how Rob managed to get, you know, his hands on music like Public Image and um, he introduced me, to, obviously, to Anthrax. Yeah. And I think he was just hanging around with a completely different circle of people. And, you know, maybe this sort of music had infiltrated him you know, at that time, whereas with me, you know, I was probably a little bit more sort of stuck in my own ways at yeah. 12 or 13 or whatever it was. Oh, so I, I, I can remember being at 16 or 17 very strident about what music should and shouldn't be listening yeah. to. In fact, I've had some very strident phases about... Yeah, what you what you want to listen to yeah. and anything else is not regarded yeah, as music. Yeah, and what will be considered. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah. And so he's sort of come home and started playing a little bit of public image in the background. And I've just gone, oh, so who's this? And he's like, well, it's public image. And I've gone, oh, that sounds like bloody Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols. And he's gone, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so going back and exploring all of the public image stuff, you know, Sex Pistols broke up 78. Um, Lydon's gone off to Jamaica to have a look at like dub acts. And reggae acts, you know, because that was the big thing at the time. You know, the Clash was starting to incorporate, yeah, you know, dub into you know their albums and reggae into their albums. And then you've got, you know, so that influence of the studio being a tool, which was what a lot of dub yeah. producers, yeah. you know, um, King Tubby and people like that, who were making reggae music, but within the studio, a lot of reverb and echo and other just as an aside, how do you rate reggae? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not sold on it. There's there's good reggae and then there's everything else. So and clearly, I'm loath to say this because we were talking about this the other night at home. Is Bob Marley is clearly the standout for reggae, but Bob Marley is almost a cliche now because he's just been overused again yeah, and yeah, again yeah, and yeah. again and yeah. again. Whereas, and if you sort of separate back and you step back and you go, I'm just going to listen to this for what it is. Marley was incredibly groundbreaking in the way that he did stuff, you know, and putting music into the popular sphere that probably shouldn't have made it into the popular sphere. You know, reggae sounds like it's, it's almost a, a cultural music strictly from Jamaica. From one particular area. Yeah, exactly. From one particular area. And I don't know if you could sort of, particularly do that with 
anywhere else. I don't know whether you know you could make Pakistani music that uh, popular. Well, I mean, there is the sphere of world music mm. now, but but Mali transcended yeah, world music. But you know, and I think everything else from reggae sort of because Mali throws such a shadow over everything because he's such a gigantic figure in the face of reggae. Like in the within the scheme of reggae, he is reggae. Anything else yeah. under that, you just you automatically comparing it to him, yeah. and so you can't really critique reggae in that sense because everything is put up against the pedestal that is Marley, which is so much higher than everything else. If you removed Marley specifically from reggae, so he never existed at all, then you could probably come back and go, "Well, okay, Peter Tosh is this, and you know all the others." But I mean, I mean Tosh played with Marley anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so you can't, again, you can't separate Marley from the reggae scene. He, he is that. And because every man and his hipster maid wants to play Bob Marley at some point in a, in a party, you sort of just yeah. go, I'm so overhearing this. Oh, see, I, 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 this is, we had this discussion on the last proper podcast uh, about... Uh, uh, where do we go on that? The the influence of the blues. Yeah. Right. I've got to tell you, I like a lot of music that I know is very reggae influenced. Mm. The Police is a fantastic. Oh, the Police is like yeah, exactly. Well, That's well, white boy reggae. Well, UB forty. Um, <laughs> what's the album? Zenyatta Mondata actually literally translates to white man reggae. Yeah. That's the. That's the album title. So, mm. yeah, so, and I like that. But I'm going, oh, you've cleaned it up and sanitised it for my yeah, white boy ears. Yeah. So we've digressed a bit. But yeah, public image. It, really, the, the, John Lydon's solo project almost. With a, oh, yeah, definitely. With a, it definitely. It's very much a rotating sort of cast yeah. of bit players in and amongst there, you know. He's, incredibly prolific too. I think oh, they, I think they put out seven or eight albums, yeah, you yeah. know, within a, a within a 10-year sort of period. I can't name 10. No. But the, I do love yeah, and we did, we did discuss this the other night yeah, as we well. They're, too, they're yeah. Like incredibly prolific but probably spread themselves far too thin. Yeah. So there's only like on any one of the albums, there's only probably one or two tracks that you would actually bother right. to repeat listen now, to. Is this better than the Sex Pistols? Public Image. Yeah. Oh, I'd say if you spread the Sex Pistols out over ten, fifteen years, <laughs> I would imagine that their quality would have been incredibly thin. And so what you got from the Sex Pistols was John Lydon condensed into a 15-minute period, whereas Pill is John Lydon condensed, like it's spread out over 10, 15 years. Time, yeah. yeah. And you've got to remember that sort of at the tail end of Pill as well, he was starting to work with acts like Leftfield in the dance, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The, you got yeah, the track open Lydon up. Yeah, exactly, down, you know. Yeah. So he's, he's very much a musical chameleon. I'd like to think that the way Lydon's career has progressed is much the same way that um, what's his name from Roxy Music, God, Brian Ferry. Brian Ferry. You know, because he's gone from being this sort of glam act with Brian Eno in yeah, in, in Roxy, Roxy Music, music yeah. moving on to this sort of like real pop sort of crooner uh, from Avalon. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's sort of a similar act. You know, Lydon's gone from being straight up oi punk. 
through to, I wouldn't say ballad writing because he's never yeah, really written no. a ballad, but, you know, one of the songs on the album is This Is Not A Love Song. Yeah. So there's... Almost, he's always kept his sense of humour, though, and his uh, sort of his uh, sense of snark. A, a punk attitude. Yeah. And and there's that thing of, you know, punk's not a style of music, it's an attitude. It is an attitude. Maybe. So that's a, that's a thing there. So, but punk was dead. Punk was dead by the 80s. Punk's not dead, it's just gone to bed. Uh, look, I probably could have put, you know, Dead Kennedys or, you know, a black flag or something on there as well. But the, this is sort of acts on my list that are yeah, I guess okay. you can say they're, they're more towards the, the popular end yeah true but, but like, let's talk about that like punk was dead and yet punk I was reckon, never dead but I mean punk was dead but it wasn't dead I reckon punk is just about the most diverse genre or subgenre or whatever like if you turn around and go they're a punk band there are so many different punk bands. Well, how were the prodigy? How were the prodigy described? They were punk for an electronic generation. Yeah. You know, you've got yeah. you've got bloody um, Liam. You know, mohawks. You've got Keith, and he's got piercings and tattoos, and he looks straight up like a punk. Yeah. But they're playing this hardcore, fast breakbeat sort of music, and you go, well, that's not punk music as such. And like you said, you know, punk is an attitude. Yeah. And these guys, you know, condense this punk attitude in it. But then you look at someone like, oh, Green Day, they are, like, typically yeah, punk. Well, yeah, yeah, but, but they're, they're very, not. They're yeah, not. And Henry Rollins cracked the shits when he had to share a stage with The Offspring. And he said, I don't want these skater trash bands anywhere well, near yeah, me. Yeah, I was going to say, there's skate punk and there's, you know, there's... Oh, there's there's so, pop punk. There's pop punk. There's... Yeah, there is so much punk. <laughs> it's five seconds of summer. It's... <laughs> Yeah, is it punk? No. Oh, we, need, we need to do. I, I think we need to do a punk episode. We will look at a punk episode at some point. That. So look, again, let, we digress. Let's talk about Visage. Oh yes, yeah, some Maybe early back. early electro. So this is about 1980. This is straight 1980. This is yeah. right at the start of yeah. sort of. This is almost like kraut rock. Yeah. You know, Are they German? No, I don't. So I think they were French. Right, okay. So, you know, there's that sort of Euro trash Euro, sound to yeah. it. And, oh. This, we were talking again the other night about songs that take you back to times and places. Mm. This takes me very much back to listening to a one of those music compilation cassettes yeah. in, in my bedroom and it had this on it in Vienna. And then... Um, a split ends track and like just this real diverse range. Yeah, I, I, this sticks out as being this is so completely different to so much else at this time. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, there's that real pervasive sort of. Sounded like it. Yeah, exactly. Like I mean, you could you could have a look at. And, it was new for a minute, and then everything. Sounded and then like everything it. sounded yeah. like that, and you can see a lot of it in sort of the later sort of bands that I've got or like the later acts and later songs on my list uh, none of it's in like chronological no, order no, but you can see the in, you yeah. can see the influence that this track and that sort of euro trash kraut rock sort of sound has sort of spread out across other acts and I mean you know you've got it with Gabriel you've got it with Kate Bush both of them were pushing sort of synthesizer limits yeah, sort of yeah. in the mid 80s as well and then you've got 
you know, what Leiden was doing with public image and then you've got over the Atlantic where you've got in America, you've got the rise of house music and techno music, yeah. you know, in Chicago and Detroit, Detroit yeah. as well. And so this sort of synthesizer sort of sound that came from Kraftwerk in the mid-70s has sort of permeated its way out of Europe, I guess, and sort of spread itself across the world. And to me, this track is very much a countdown track. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. so, you know, it's just sort of, you, you think, you listen to this track and you just go, well, this Can is... you still remember the video? Oh, no, I can't. It was sadly. kind of like people coming out of almost like white paint or something. Oh, like yeah. 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 So, but, you know, it, it, it does have this sort of, it was really early sort of video as well. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So this is one of the earlier video clips and you can just sort of see sort of, you know, there'd be people with like face paint, you know, sort of like Blade <laughs> Runner style sort of androids getting yeah, around dancing, listening like to this. Yeah, it was very alien and very sort of roboty, And I yeah. think that was, you know, encapsulated in the time. You know, you've even got to go back and have a look at a lot of the science fiction and the pop culture from around about the time. You know, there was this whole sense of what the future was going to be and now we're in 2019 and shit's no different to what it was before here's the thing though like the the future looked different in 1980 than it does in 2019 no november just gone november just gone was supposed to be the november where blade runner was i know and we're sitting there going I got no fucking flying car yet. What's going on? No, but like, kind of, the way the city was, you go, I don't think we're that far off. No, well, I mean, there's elements of Blade Runner where we're really not that far off. But, you know, and I probably could have put the Blade Runner, I just probably could have put like the Blade Runner soundtrack on it. That would have been my 80s. 80s. That would have been my 80s soundtrack. One of the the great films. Yeah, but... Where where is this optimism that we had in the eighties for what we were going to do? You know, thirty years time, twenty twenty, right? So forty years time, twenty twenty, nineteen eighty three to twenty twenty. Where are we going to be? We're going to have man missions to Mars. We're going to be colonizing the stars. You know, blah blah blah. Nothing else. We got nothing. We got Donald Trump in the you, fucking you know, White House. Nothing That's what else epitomizes that joy for the future than possibly, I think, the great eighties movie. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> yeah, back to the Future, exactly. Where is my Where's, where's my, my hoverboard? hoverboard? Where is it? It's not here. Yes. But no, we've just we are somehow regressing as a society by not embracing the excitement. And you can hear no, it in, you can no, hear yeah, it in the, you can yeah. hear it in the music as well. Oh, and, this is brave and, new world. And, We're exploring and, and, technology. We're exploring sounds from machines and all of this sort of thing, and we sort of just hit a point. Now, I apologise to our listeners because we've actually diverged from the Middle Age mixtape <laughs> to Man Shane's Fisted Cloud. Because this is the crossover again. This is the crossover episode. <laughs> but there's a, but there's there's there a sense that. behind this. This the eighties music represented an excitement for what was come because we've come from. You know, the classic guitar sounds and the bass sounds and the drum sounds. And we've had, you know, the great rock and roll bands up to this point. We've had Floyd. We've had The Who. We've had Led Zeppelin. All of those sorts of bands. We've had punk. Punk's been and gone. Punk was an explosion. Tore up the rule book. Yes. Now we've got sort of, you know, this this European sort of influence on it. 
there's there's excitement going on and yeah i don't think any other era of music really sort of represents an excitement for the future in the way that the 80s did could it have been our age Oh, maybe. I mean, we were young enough to be naive about where we were going to go and what was yes. going to happen in the eighties. Yeah. You know, you know. I sat down and watched Top Gun, and I'm going, I'm going to be a fighter pilot. Oh, hello. And yes. that never happened. You did join the air force. I did join the air force, but pilots are ballast. So really, <laughs> in the end, it doesn't. You know, it's it's not the thing. But you know, maybe it was that sort of enthusiasm of youth that we wanted to go ahead and like, we're going to conquer the world. We're going to change society. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And in, I, the, in yes. the end, we just got boomed and you know, yeah, here we are. Yeah, so, yeah. so talking about these three, I think sort of go together a little bit. Frankie Knuckles. Yep. Bronski beat. Yep. And man to man. Man to man. Yeah. What's going on there? You've been hanging out in gay bars. Yeah. Look, like, I, I was looking at this and this is probably the gayest playlist I've ever put together. Uh, no. Um, in not, a good not way. That there's there's wrong not with that, that there's anything wrong with that. But, so, uh, you know, I know you're a married man. There so was... Uh, look, having come to understand electronic, especially dance culture and electronic culture and sort of house music culture, very much comes from the gay scene. And so, you know, yeah. disc, disco became house, became sort of off-splintered to techno, Techno is slightly different in the fact that it was sort of a representation of the urban decay that was happening in Detroit. But house music was very much born from gay underground discos. Yeah. And so Frankie Knuckles, who was seen as the godfather of house, the pioneer of house yeah. music in um, the warehouse in Chicago, um, this is one of the earlier sort of tracks that was sort of came out of that scene. Yeah. And it had a, had a massive sort of influence within sort of the gay community and then as it expanded out and I guess it sort of brought it brought the gay scene out of the underground so to speak you know it sort of brought it to probably more of a public consciousness than what it was and yeah some of the best parties I've ever been to have been like in gay nightclubs they've just been off the hook so good yeah and yeah look (laughs) man to man is clearly well, clearly yeah. like a you know one of those songs you sit back and go ah, I'm not you know not that there's anything wrong with it no but it's not our scene no exactly it's yeah. not our scene but yeah. it's a good track and I did I did get a message from a friend actually he just screenshot that that like the thing on Spotify and yeah. sent it to me and going like dude what yeah and that was yeah, it yeah, and I'm yeah, like right. it's a good track just just remove no, no, it from no. the context it's a good track I remember a mate telling me I really like that Bronski beat track, you know, Small Town Boy. Mm, I'm like, mm. oh, yeah. And is there... It's almost autobiographical. It's Jimmy Somerville. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's... But again, there was such an issues type band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no one thought that Bronski beat was like a political band. No, definitely. But they They were. were For for working people, for... Certainly for gay men. Yeah. Um... (laughs) And again, for for this conservatively raised teenager in '84, hearing about how this might have been a a problem for people, you go, "Well, this is a, this is a whole other world." Exactly. I mean, even over the last five, six, ten years, this has become 
more pertinent, I guess, you know, yeah. especially with the, the marriage equality bill that we yeah. recently went through. Knowing that this sort of attitude continues to pervade within society yeah. is, and, you know, I'm probably, I would say, I'm as conservative as the next person. I'm sort of liberal-ish, I yeah. guess. But knowing that this sort of attitude and these behaviours carry on in society is something that really frustrates me. And being able to listen to this, and I, in a sense, I kind of identify with this track. Not that I'm, you know, not no, being no, gay or anything no, like that, no, but, I, you know, the small town mentality that I, goes on behind it. I empathise with it. Yeah, exactly. I, I can see where that would be an issue mm. for people. And fortunately, you know, we, we, we're lucky. We are, exactly. We're, we're, we're in the privileged. demographic of all. We're uh, middle-aged white men. Exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I remember first hearing particularly small town boy, and then seeing the video. And the video, if you're under any illusions as to what's going on in the song, the video <laughs> yeah. pretty much spells Not, not it backwards out. and coming forwards. Yeah, and um, so, yeah, that was a, a, a new... It's a trio of songs that sort of celebrated gay culture at a time when gay culture was very much was seen as... Was not at all. I mean, no. you know, what was the, <clears throat> the HIV thing? Within the eighties, and you got to remember, yeah. you remember the the HIV ads, the the AIDS ads, yeah, you know, the bowling, and the, the, bowling yeah, the, the Grim Reaper and stuff like that. I mean, what was AIDS was seen as affecting only the three H's, which was um, homos, heroin addicts, and Haitians. That's how that's how it was treated in you know in the states in the eighties, and that sort of attitude came. And Look, affected this, Australia as well. This is still a time where, for example, probably one of the most famous gay musicians has married his wife, mm. and a, a female wife, effectively a beard. Yeah, exactly. To 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 avoid coming out. Yeah. And I'm talking about Elton John. Yeah, exactly. You know, he was about 85 or mm. 86. So we're in this time where. We're still in denial about well, ourselves. George George Michael was a, a teen girl pinup. Yes, and in the eighties, and, and nobody wanted to admit that Rock Hudson or Liberace <laughs> were gay. These things, <laughs> these things came as terrible shock. Exactly, How did this man die of AIDS. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you know, like yeah, women love Liberace. You yes. know that whole thing from Austin Powers. Um, <laughs> yes, so we've had this sort of thing. So it was, I still remember it being. Almost cloistered it, or not spoken of. Yeah, I mean, it, it it still came. Well, it even came as a tremendous shock to me later because it didn't. It, it wasn't obvious when I was a twelve or thirteen year old. Yeah, that the village people were gay. Ooh, right. Yeah, I never knew. <laughs> I just who, never, who knew? Who knew? It was just, and then like now. Oh yeah. It seems so obvious, but as an eleven or twelve year old, you're going. Yeah, what? and at a time when I I started coming towards house music, especially, I was more. I probably would have been nineteen or twenty. Yeah, and so we're looking at mid nineties. Yeah, now, and you know I'd been in and around the metal scene as well, which is yeah, which that's is, not exactly the gayest of. Uh, 
environments. Although you look at Rob Halford from, um, from Judas Priest, Judas Priest he came out as gay. oh yeah, very much but so. Only recently. Oh uh, no, he sort of he quit Judas Priest, and then it sort of came out that Rob was gay. Right. And you know, I mean, but you know, a dude getting around in like skin tight leather, screaming yeah. in a falsetto. You know, you look it's, back at it now and you go. Oh yeah, no. Rob was like really yeah, gay. Yeah, but, but again, are we? Uh, is it just that thing of if we don't think about it? Oh yeah. Those, for those who don't want to know, if we don't, if we don't look at it, it doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just avoid the topic. Exactly, almost. but you know, and so I've come back into this at a later, really sort of later so, okay, age. Would you say metal fans would be, in general, and we're making generalisations here, homophobic? The the genre has a misogyny issue. Uh, Yes, but so does that lead to? I think it does. You know, it has this. They go hand in hand. Yeah, because it's it's really sort of loud and aggressive and blokey music. Yes, but I say that you know, but there are a lot of female metal fans out there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But it has this image of being blokey and loud and aggressive and, you know, I'm going to punch the next person in the face sort of thing yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and there's been a lot of, you know, metal acts have come out and, you know, been extremely homophobic in the way that they've spoken. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the whole, and we discussed this with the Summer of Love, the whole background of, you know, peace, love, unity and respect yeah. Pleur, was the was the catch cry of the summer of love in the late eighties, yeah. and coming to that at a later date, I've had to really evaluate how I've looked at myself and how I've looked at society and how I've looked at the world. In coming back and exploring this music, you know, and so you you listen to Man's Man, and that's that's very much a song that is like gay men culture in New York. Yeah. Yeah. in the 80s and you go well that is a song of its time but you listen to Your Love by Frankie Knuckles that could be oh, that's, just that's a song that could go either way up, it's timeless it's yeah, a timeless yeah, song yeah, it could yeah. go either way and then you've got what was the third one in there uh, the Bronsky Beat Bronsky Beat that, that, and that's straight up gay small town have to leave sort of thing you know that yeah. coming out the only gay in the Exactly, the only guy in the village, but you've still got to leave the village. Yes. And so, I guess, to you know... Quote the fabulous little bridge. <laughs> coming back and exploring this music, and that's basically... These three songs probably encapsulate how I came back to this 80s list, is that this is songs that I found later in my musical journey and yeah. have made me sort of re-evaluate, reevaluate how I listen to music and how I also... Listen to and evaluate society as well. This is one of the things that I, you know, when I when people go, oh, you know, I don't like this or I don't like that, or they're homophobic or they're misogynistic or whatever. It's an inc- there's an incredibly selfish reason to be accepting of these things, mm. right? And the selfish reason is if those people create something of beauty or of value to us, we all benefit. Yeah. Like, you know, take for example if women had been admitted to university 
all those years ago, you'd have had twice as many people going to university. Yeah. And we might well have hoverboards by now. Exactly. But because that hasn't happened, um, you know, and I'm, I'm reminded all the time about uh, the, the, the case of Alan Turing. Exactly. Like, how much more advanced would we be? We could be podcasting from our wristwatches instead of our laptops now. <laughs> because technology would have advanced further. So let's move on from, again, man. This is, this is great. This is our most ranty episode We've ever. ranted, which is great. Now I'm going to... There's some rants to come. Thieves by ministry, mate. Ministry, now, how good. Well, yeah, we're going from one extreme to the other. We're going from, you know, that gay culture to... Industrial metal. industrial metal, industrial metal, hard industrial. Exactly, metal. exactly. Now, ministry started off as being that sort of Eurobeat new wave sound. Would you believe? Uh, you've told me that. Before. Yeah, yeah. I, no I, one, no one actually I, believes I, me when I say this. It, so I must go and go back and listen to early ministry and be shocked at what you shocked. hear. It sounds shocked like it sounds like a bad version of Depeche Mode of early Depeche right. Mode. So and then Al Jorgensen's all of a sudden just gone. Oh, you know what? I actually really like my guitar, and has brought that back. And nineteen eighty nine, this album, "The Mind Is a Terrible Thing to Taste," yeah. was really that sort of start of Ministry's hard thrash industrial sound. Probably not quite peak Ministry. Not quite though, peak like Ministry. The, no, the Psalm sixty nine, which yeah, Psalm sixty nine, which was the next Psalm album, yeah. was. Peak Ministry. Peak Ministry. Yeah. I think actually they released an album, I think it was called Just In Case You Felt Like Showing Up, which right. was in between. I think that was right. 1990 okay. or something like that. Right. And But this is this is the blueprint. This album was the blueprint for what came with Psalm 69, yeah, which was Peak Ministry. Going. Exactly. Yeah, 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 and, and you can on this track. Yeah, you yeah. Hear, you hear what is to come. Exactly. And you yeah. can hear the the ideas that Al has, you know, the incorporation of samples, there's some great samples in there from um, the Kubrick film is going to... Um, uh, um, Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket, yeah. That's it, thank you. It's three three beers down now, I'm not three even thinking straight. No, we're great, we're going to eat some food in a minute, so uh, not not on the podcast, that's not... You don't, get, you don't get that blessing. You don't get to hear us eat food, so... Yeah, it's peak... Peak ministry, peak. It was, again, for me coming to it, it's an exploration of new sounds. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, hearing music that is, oh, okay, so it's got metal and it's got electronic in it. And this was ministry for me and industrial music for me was that bridging point between listening to you know, the thrashy hard stuff, Slayer, Anthrax, yeah. Metallica, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, those guitar metal bands yeah. and the stuff that you hear on the other side with, you know, like Prodigy and Fatboy Slim and Chemical Brothers and house music and things like that. Ministry and industrial music and Nine Inch Nails were very much that sort of bridging point yeah, between the two. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, there was... I remember reading there was a web page out there that was basically slammed anything that had a, a computer in it. It was like, you know, computer music is garbage or something like that. Uh, and any single band, and this included bands like Ministry, Nitsa Ebb, Nine Inch Nails, all of these bands that were pushing extreme sort of noise with regards to 
you know, sounds and metal and things like that as well. They were trash because they incorporated a computer into there. Exactly. And now, I couldn't name a band that plays exclusively and records exclusively on analog equipment. Uh, They broke up. Who was that? The White Stripes. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But you can't tell me that Jack at some point hasn't incorporated you know, using a computer to sequence his music. He has now. Yeah. But the white, one of the White Stripes things was very much... You do it all analogue. Let, let's put ourselves in a box. And, but that's... But they're an exception. Oh, he's... They're very much the exception, you know, and now, an now everybody has incorporated this technology into it. And again, that's that 80s thing of we're bringing new ideas, fresh ideas, incorporating the future into our sounds now. As much as that stuff emerged in the 80s, we also had that split. Right, so we also had that idea of this poppy stuff, this computer stuff is not real music, mm. but guitars are. So I think there was yeah, a, as much as there was a convergence of some bands putting it together. Well, it was, I think it was more like, oh, we fear change. Yeah, more than anything else. No, but don't forget, there's some bands who were working there on computers who were like, who don't be disgusting. Yeah. Bands like we discussed last night. Indecent Obsession. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like a lot of Euro pop sort of music and but stuff. Let's like. go to Peak 80s, the last track on your list, Teenage Riot. Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth. The band of the 80s. Well, no. No, they weren't really. Um, yeah, Daydream Nation came out in 88, and that was, I mean, it's seen as being Sonic Youth's best album. Yeah. And in many ways, it you, is because you, it's. You probably... would say Washington would you? No, I would say Daydream Nation is, but yeah. Sonic. Is... You can't pigeonhole Sonic Youth into saying, "Well, this was their time," yeah. because they explored different sounds each time. There's there's a, there's a Sonic Youth template, but within that template, they explored different ends of it. Yeah, and so. When you listen to Daydream, Daydream Nation is so good because there are tracks on it that are accessible, yeah. especially with Teenage Riot. Teenage Riot is very much oh, the... A... It's almost like an anti-Sonic Youth track it's, in the fact that it's yeah. verse, chorus, verse. Yeah, and it's it's it, 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 it's such just straight college rock. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly, but so it, this is a band that came out of sort of... Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right there. And they've come out... But they've come out of this... the. New York no wave scene where you yeah. know you had new wave in the UK and in Europe yeah. which you know was that electronic sort of pop sound and then you've got no wave over in the states which is basically we've got no structure at all yeah yeah and you know even from there from the late sort of end of no wave you've got cat power and people like that coming yeah, out yeah, of New York yeah, yeah, yeah. and but this i think this was when Sonic Youth were able to bring everything into sort of a cohesive package more than anything else. Uh, their, yeah. their later albums are, they've got moments of sheer brilliance and then they've got moments of absolute the shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you, you had to listen to it last week when I was listening to, like, Kim Gordon stuff. That is that is way too self-indulgent. It, it, it does get and, very and, self-indulgent. And, and yes, good on her. Exactly. You're allowed to do what you like. Exactly. But also... And if we go if we go further on and have a look at the back end of my list and, you yes, know, what I, what, I, your, what is coming up, stuff, stuff, yeah. again, goes down that road. So yeah. there's this was, I think, where Sonic Youth were able to harness their powers because all four of them are fantastic musicians. 
Yeah. And bring that together for one double album, which just is timeless. You could you could put you could release Daydream yeah, Nation no, now sounds and sounds just as good. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I agree with that. So we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. Yes. And uh, thank we'll you, Wilson's Brewery. Right after these messages. Have a look. What have we got? Yeah, okay. Um, let's look. At, let's look at the track that ended racism in Australia with "Let's Dance" with David Bowie. Let's dance. Yeah. Um, well, explain your list oh, before yeah, we get okay. to it. Yeah, sure. Um, well, mine mine is more about real time. So this is not stuff I, I got back into. In fact, there's a bit of '80s music that I've discovered later and gone back to, but. For this list, I went the stuff that I heard first time, probably on the radio, maybe at school, tapes that, that, that mates let me. So, to give you an idea, I started high school in 1984. Yeah. And I probably become really, really into music in about 81 at primary school. and But we lived in Morrow at that point, so it was... The ABC countdown, yeah. Yeah. Um, and 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 best of tapes. Yeah, right. That's the um, that's the drum there. So when I moved back to Perth in '84, it was you know you were listening to the radio and hearing stuff. Going to high school, um, and that's yeah, that's where my musical growth. So everything on my list um, has a bit of a. This is kind of the the first time I really yeah. heard that, felt that feel. Um, and and in in a lot of cases, and I didn't really realise it until I put the list together, um, was a, a little bit about uh, well, how do you how do you explain it? A little bit about sort of um, well some of these bands I'm still into now. Yeah. But I spent a little bit of time away from them. Oh, okay. So, um, but I'm amazed with how much of it has stuck with yeah, me. Yeah, so you, you'd forgotten your first love and you've come back yeah, to it. it. Yeah, yeah I, yeah, I think that's it in a way. And, and like, because a lot of this, you know, you're 12 or 13 and you go, I'm, I'm definitely not that person now, obviously, 30-odd yeah. years on. But uh, some of those songs you go, oh, they still quite resonate. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, talking about Let's Let's Dance, I mean, yes, I was aware of Bowie vaguely, subconsciously, not in in any understanding of how important Bowie was. Yeah. But seeing the Let's Dance video on Countdown and hearing the song and you go, this is just, even now it's sublime. Yeah. Because he went to shit after this really, didn't he? To be fair, I, I don't think he's post labyrinth, mm. right? So yeah. the, the stuff on <laughs> the cod piece ruined it for everyone. Oh well, that's it. But uh, 
the music from Labrieth, the, the stuff he did on that was actually not too bad. Yeah. But after that, you know, and then you had, what, I think Tin Machine and... Mm. Um, it got pretty no. naff. And I think doing anything with the Stones by that point sort of oh, kills yeah, your career. Oh, so yeah, that mid-'80s, uh, yeah. Yeah, because then, oh, do you remember Absolute Beginners? Yeah. Oh, Ugh. yeah. That has not aged well. No, no, so, no, no. Look, here's, here's a bit of a thing, and it's probably a bit of a theory. Like, there was a time, if you look at, like, the 60s and probably into the 70s, pop stars were, were, were literally that. And I don't know where the term... I know, I know the term pop music comes from the term popular music. But I also think there was that little bit of the the soda pop. Yeah. This is new and it's fizzy. And then when it goes flat or you've had it, it'll go away. Yeah. And you Or think, you get rid of it. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. You you'll tip it out. Um and you think about like the Beatles, as an example, were probably the first men yeah. of their generation. To turn into thirty-year-olds and still be making music, yeah. Because a lot of other people would have just given it away or whatever. And then, so we've had this phenomenon that rock music or, or pop music was young enough that w- we we watched some of these people grow up. Yeah. So Bowie would have only been into probably the the second full decade of his career. By the time Let's Dance came out, yeah, been around yeah, fifteen been or through. twenty years. You yeah. know, like we're watching these people age and grow, and it doesn't necessarily progress so well. Well, this them. is the third itineration of Bowie, really. Isn't yeah, it? this absolutely. is a thin white Duke era, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. and um, I his eighties stuff is he look he did some good stuff and. Um, I think the, the, his '80s stuff is overshadowed by his crap '80s stuff more than anything else. Yeah, the the so. overriding feeling you have of Bowie's '80s output is that it's trash, and but that you know, in in that sense, you end up missing things like you know, China Girl or yeah. um, you know, Let's Dance or Heroes. Heroes, you know, yeah. You know, yeah. stuff that is iconically Bowie, and is. What we would consider classic Bowie. Voice. Yeah. Yeah, um, Sound and Vision. Um, Yeah, so look. But I I love Let's Dance, the track. I love the album. And but but to me, like I, I guess what it came out at eighty three, I think it was on. Yep. I'm 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 eleven or twelve, and I'm like, this is amazing, and. This is David Bowie who, and I'm not quite sure why he's a legend, but I know he is. Yeah. And this video is filmed in Australia and it just felt very, very like, wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, so, no, I love that track. That's good. Love that track. Yeah, yeah, still, still love it. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is why racism does not exist in Australia, well, is be, purely like because of so. this. 
you'd like to think so. Yeah. So I think I think we'll run through your list in order right. chronologically well, they, as it, it appears almost, on as it appears on the playlist. It's it's pretty close to chronological there. I, I, yeah, I, I did notice have, that. May have maybe diced some months, mm. but I think I've gone at least year by year. Yeah. So we look at it, the next. We got like sort of two strong Australian acts. You got Australian crawling in excess, yep. probably at the diametric opposites of what Australian music was, I guess, at the uh, time. You know, because you had you had classic pub rock, Australian yeah. rock, which was Australian crawl, cold chisel, the angels, the angels, yeah. um, probably to a lesser extent hunters and collectors. And then you had this big stadium sound, which is what In Excess always sort of aspired to. Exactly. I, I think um, one of the things about... Uh, let's go Australian crawl first. I would like they had such a uniquely Australian sound and tend yeah. to write about, I think, very Australian things. Um, that to me they were never going to succeed anywhere internationally. No. Um, and you know, some of their lyrics. You know, I've got a terrific Tirana. Well, that's <laughs> and and this is. This is actually uh, limited to the people who sat and took the time to decipher the lyrics because James Rain was notoriously hard to decipher, so you couldn't really... I'm, I'm not even sure if it's English that he sings in. No, he sings in Rain. Um, uh, but I was enough of a fan to listen, and it was such a... And, and again, if you were a teenager in the 80s, and you could sing along to Australian Crawl, you were like some sort of You're a god amongst men, yeah. You know, like, how the hell do you know all these <laughs> lyrics, mate? I was like, I've worked at it. So, now this song in particular, Looking for Cool, so Australian Crawl's biggest hit in Australia is, of course, Reckless. Yep. Right? Everybody knows Reckless, and it came out on an EP called Semantics, and... Looking for Cool and White Limbo and one other track that I can't quite recall. So there's four tracks on this. So this is like a B-side. Yeah. But every so often it would come on the radio and you'd go, wow, this is so good. Mm -hmm. This is so good. And I loved it. I just, but again, commercially it wasn't a, a hit for them or anything like that, but it just, it, you know, it, it really talked about... To me, it, it actually hit up where where Australian Crawl was at. They were they were very mainstream, but they were having a go at a lot of people, you know, yeah. like things like Looking for Cool, Hoochie Gucci, Free Aruchi Mama. Even Boys Light Up is having a bit of a go at... Australian culture. At, at, at elements of Australian culture. So I'm... Yeah, but they were a big, big Australian band. Mm. But that still made them, I think, they were the big fish in a, a fairly small pond yeah. at that point. And then In Excess, I think, always were driving themselves for something bigger and, and branching out internationally. And I think, to give you the impact, I believe this song was produced by Niall Rogers. Wow. Original scene and the video for it is filmed in Japan, so yeah. they, were, 
they were breaking out as far and that's, as that's wide as big. they could. Yeah. Yeah. So they were like, yeah, trying to stretch those boundaries. And and if you look at there was a sequence of albums, Shabu Shabar, and again, this is more in hindsight, but mm. but again, when I f- first moved back from Morrow and I started high school, Original Sin was on the radio. Yes, I remember. Pervasive. Minutes. Oh, yeah. But it was such a good track. Yeah, it still it? is. It still is such yeah. a good track. How, it is one of their tracks that has aged really well, which yeah. I can't say the same for the whole album. No. Swing, but... They were just everywhere. So you had Shabu Shabar, you had the swing, the swing, and then you had Kick. No, listen like thieves. Oh, listen like thieves, and then and then Kick. So, the, like the there's four albums. That, yeah, and 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 realistically, you can watch their progression. So they're just a, a very much a straight up rock band on Shabu Shabar. Yeah, got a, a couple of elements to it, and then you go, oh yeah, you've got a bit of. Tell me now. At one stage, my list was going to feature only bands that had saxophone. Because <laughs> Nothing says eighties music like a saxophone. Something in the eighties it was acceptable, and then suddenly it wasn't. Mm. And the only thing I can think of that could have caused that is Kenny G. Yeah, right. They just ruled it. But anyway, back that was to, a, yeah, yeah. So, but there was you know they had saxophone, so they had a bit of funk and soul. And the swing really brought that out. I mm. think, you know, like, had some really rocky stuff. The, the saxophone is big. The keyboards are big in it. And then, listen like Thieves, they went back to a very guitar-based sound. Yeah. And it's it, it's very straight up, four on the floor, rock and roll. Yeah. And then, with Kick, they kind of... Mash the two. two sounds, yeah. and that is, I mean, that's that's the peak, peak in excess, exactly, yeah, and, and that's peak in excess, and then of course, um, well, we've spoken before yeah. about Max Q, mm. and and then their later albums, but I just think, yeah, they sort of lost their way after that, but yeah, they had a run there where I mean, really, if you think about it, any good band. Or any band that knocks out four albums, four albums like, like that. that, you go. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So everything else you can kind of discount. You and, did, so. and we we discussed this previously. The in excess were probably along with you two having released Joshua Tree. They're the two biggest bands in so the world. If you look at nineteen eighty seven, mm. two of the biggest selling albums are Kick, yep. and the Joshua Tree, yeah. And I think people forget how big in excess were. They were absolutely massive. Yeah. There's there's no question about it. And that's kind of the shame of it all because mm. you look at you know, I went and saw you two on Wednesday night. Yeah. And you go, Why the hell aren't in excess uh, you know, like you just what could happened? not imagine in your wildest dreams in excess doing a thirtieth anniversary. Well, exactly. Time. Yeah, but if you, you think about it and we we have been, we've been over this a few times with regards to Max Q, how much of a lost opportunity Max Q was. You yeah. Imagine if Max Q had been the follow-up album to Kick. To kick. I think it, so timeline-wise, I think we're looking Kick, Max Q, and then X. Yeah. Now, X was really an attempt to rewrite 
Yeah, it was Kick V2. Kick version 2. Yeah. yeah. And there's some, there's some moments on it, but I just don't think... Interesting enough, I don't know if you saw it on the ABC the other night, that Mystify documentary. No, I missed it. No, okay. Worth a look, right? So archival footage in excess and that. And they talk about when um, uh, they've gone to, I think, an Italian island off Capri or whatever to record Full Moon Dirty Hearts. As you do. As you do. You you know, like you are a big rock band now, right? And Michael has brought along his tape of Nevermind, right, and wants to talk to the guys about doing grunge or doing... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing something different. Mm. And there is a line in it where they go, oh, all he could talk about was Nirvana, right? And and I forget who it is, and someone saying, but that's just not in excess. Yeah. Yeah, right. And it's like they would... That was exactly the thing that Nirvana came in and smashed, wasn't it? Yeah. I think they were sort of... And maybe, maybe that's right to go, oh, we couldn't really just turn around and rip that off or anything Mm. but some artists have survived from picking the latest trend well bowie going back bowie Bowie was a guy that would would recognize trends madonna madonna's another one yes so i i just sort of felt the ones that have the ones that have come out of the 80s apart from say someone like springsteen or paul kelly are the ones that have been able to recognise the trends going forward. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and they've gone, oh, well, this is the next big thing, so I'm going to be sort of on the cusp of that. Yeah. Or, or be prepared to turn around and say, look, we've done that to death. Yeah. Let's go and do this. Yeah. You know, let's just try that. So, I mean, and there was even talk about the tension that came out of Michael doing Max Q. Yeah. And you go, oh, man. So, yeah. I think that should have been. But, again, original sin is possibly the reason I fell in love with In Excess. I I met friends who were keen on them. It's the reason we went to Australian Made. Yep. I bought all their albums. Mm. The Swing is not my favourite album, but The Swing is the reason that I love In Excess. Is for you, yeah. That are important. And, And interestingly enough, though, I listen now and I go, oh, it's not perfect. It's not this thing no. that I go back and go, and particularly the non-single tracks, mm. right? Like, and not for this podcast, but for another, I listened to The Swing in the car for a couple of days and Abby would get in the car and go, this isn't that great, is it? Yeah. And I'm like... Yeah, if I'm honest, maybe it's not. Yeah. But at the time, I would have told you, I would have absolutely fought you if you'd said yeah, exactly. you know, yeah, yeah. it wasn't that great. So, um, but yeah, that's how it that's how it rolled. Yeah. yeah. Ah, cool, cool. Uh, Bruce. Springsteen, Bruce. Eighty four was eighty four born in the USA. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, Again. could you not get any bigger album? Of the eighties, of the, of any American released album in the eighties, what what epitomizes the eighties more than Springsteen's Born in the USA? Thriller. More. Yeah, but I don't think Thriller's actually. 
I see. I'm not a Michael Jackson. Yeah, fan, exactly. But, but I, I, I mean, I mean, it you think a, thriller? Thriller sort piece. of exists in its own sort of microcosm as a snapshot of the '80s. I think Born in the USA is actually more of a snapshot of the '80s than Thriller is. Well, again, funnily enough, I, and I sort of like I said, there was a, a real, you know, how moving from primary school to high school is a big moment. Yeah, life. yeah. Well, I also moved from the country to the city. Yeah. Right. So I moved from Morawa and and started at Swanee High School. So that's a big step too. Tomorrow as well, like like that. Yeah. Forty five people or something stupid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and. It actually, it, it, it is kind of that line in your life where mm. there's the stuff that existed before that yeah, and there's the stuff that existed after that. But I had never heard of Bruce Springsteen <laughs> until I got to high school. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're hearing this dancing in the dark, born in the USA. And it, it seemed to me like for two years albums would come out. Like... Um, or, or singles would come out from from this. It was just intense, yeah. you know. I'm on fire. The whole thing. It was massive, and it's probably. I think it's it's not Springsteen's best album, but no, it's probably no, his it's, best known album. It's his best commercially, I suppose. Yeah. It's actually probably the least representative mm. of what he's about. Exactly. Yeah. But he just, you know, he got on a. It's an '80s sounding album. Yeah, it's got that. And I don't know what it is, but I reckon you can pick just about any track from the '80s by the drum sound. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's sort of like this half compressed sort of almost artificial drum sound. Like Queen, yeah. Queen was using it, and In Excess yeah. were using it, yeah. and Springsteen to an extent was using it. And you just sit there and go, "Does nobody just play like a normal drum anymore? Does everybody just play these half-assed electronic kits?" Yeah, but like I said, I don't. I don't he he's certainly not got a lot of love for the the song "Born in the USA." No, but I know certainly when I saw him live, he played probably about a half a dozen tracks off the album. Yeah, including the one I chose, which I love. Yeah, um, down on the highway. On the highway yeah, and then um, he played Darlington County. He played Dancing in the Dark. He played. Um, I think he played Bobby Jean. Um, yeah, the whole album is, um, is yeah. Mm. I love it, but then it, it, it's this excellent opening door. Yeah. To everything else to bring. And oh, then, everything else is bring. And then I can tell you, I went away from it for years. Yeah. I just thought, oh man, this is this stuff's way too old. Yeah. For me, this is just not me at all. And yet, probably the last half a dozen years or so, I've gotten back into it, mm. and I've enjoyed his stuff even more. So he's one where I go, yes, found it in the early '80s uh, or mid '80s almost, and yeah, probably through the '90s and early '90s, just went, no, I've got no interest, and now I want to listen to it all the time yeah and, and and love his new stuff and i love his old stuff and i love the fact that he's been very retrospective about his stuff yeah and so forth so yeah love it yeah and then midnight oil yeah 
Ben, we would discuss it. We, we discussed we, we discussed midnight oil ad nauseum last night. We, we were actually really, really devo about not that. actually putting the microphone in front yeah, of us. I think so. Um, so again, I think I was kicking back about how midnight oil weren't bigger worldwide because I think. I think musically they were better than in excess. This probably, uh, yeah. Yeah. as as a group of musicians, probably not to the point where they're writing pop songs. That's where the Farris Brothers excelled, as they wrote a yeah. fantastic pop song. Whereas, I think with Midnight Oil, they wrote strong songs. Like their albums are strong, like the cover to cover. Strong albums. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think you got to look at like if you listen to some of the, the, the. Um, I mean, you, you hear it on the Dead Heart, the, um, almost the twin rhythm guitars. Yeah. Um, yeah, really great sound. Mm. Really, you know, yeah, and. Um, but, I mean, the, Garrett was never as charismatic a frontman as. Michael no, Hutchins didn't was. Have that sex no, there's nothing think, sexy about Peter Garrett at all. And, but I think ultimately it was just they became known very early as a protest band. Protest band, and we discussed that a while ago. The protest yeah. bands do not have a long shelf life. Uh, no, and, and I think in Australia, like I say, you know, particularly in the eighties, I mean, there was what 15, 16 million people. You're you're not necessarily going to have a big commercial following. No. As and well we and we Australia's got the tall poppy syndrome as well. You know, if bands get too successful yeah. or too big for their boots, and that's probably where Midnight Oil were. Is everybody saw Midnight oh, Oil? Was, especially Garrett. Garrett got too big for his boots. He needed to know what his place was. You know, because he was lead singer for Midnight Oil. He was really up in your face with anti nuclear protesting. You know, ran for parliaments. You know, all, all of these things, you know, they played on Wall Street, you know, shut down Wall Street, yeah, you know, yeah, much yeah, in the yeah. same way that Rage okay. Against Machine did later so, on. So, yeah, yeah, I was just going to say that, that that works if you're an American band. I, tell me this, right? Like, when you, like, 10 through 1 and Red Sails in the Sunset and that, they very much got an anti-nuclear. Yeah. And even on Species to Ceces, it's an environmental, yeah. the, the, the anti-war environmental and that and I reckon just about everybody at any age almost can get behind that yep do you think like with um, the dead heart and oh, um, diesel and dust perhaps, the second that they started looking yeah, at like specifically yeah, Australian yeah. issues oh, well yeah because that's kind of like exactly do you, do you know what it's, it's very easy to be I'm anti-nuclear war and you go there's not a nuclear weapon Australia. No, exactly. Right. We've got and, like and, one nuclear reactor and that's it. Yeah. yeah. And, and and you go, oh, well, you know, yeah, but you're right. Jeez, that, that is... Yeah, no, that's up. terrible, yeah. yeah. You know, if the Americans <laughs> and the Russians go, well, we're all in a lot of trouble. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, no, good on you, Pete. Thanks for... Uh, <laughs> thanks for pointing it out, Pete. We're, we're behind you. Yeah, we're right behind you. But now you turn around and go, oh, but by the way, there's this whole thing yeah, exactly. in your backyard and you go, well, hey, Pete. Yeah. You've touched your nerve there, Chad. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, well... Yeah, no one tells me what to do. Yes, so I wonder if that kind of limited their appeal. Although, oh, Blue Sky Mining sold squillions, like sold a lot. Blue Sky Mining again, though. That's that's almost back on the environment. Yeah, it's probably so much, but yeah, Yeah. like yeah. I mean, and that was a big dig at um, CSR 
about yeah. mining asbestos. Yeah. So, yeah, so you go, oh, Oh, yeah, no, no, that's Yeah, no, that's bad, yeah. yeah. that's bad, yeah. Yeah, no, mining bad, nuclear's bad. Yeah. Oh, Racism. Oh, no, whoa, whoa, no, whoa. Here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. In every case, you go, oh, you've identified the bad guy. Yeah, but the thing with the thing oh. with Dead Heart and Truganini and and yeah. others, it's like, oh no, oh, I'm, I'm the bad guy. guy. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, it's it, yeah. no one wants to have the finger pointed at them. It's yeah. always easier to pick out, oh, like it's the Yanks or the Russians yeah, yeah, or, yeah, or it's, it's CSR or someone yeah, yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So I'm 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 sort of wondering about that. <laughs> <laughs> it probably did, and then really, I think beyond that point, once Garrett. Well, mi- oh, clearly Midnight Oil needed. Oh, shut up! Merely, you know, um, Midnight Oil sort of taken a break because I think they'd sort of run their political discourse. Yeah, and then Garrett actually went into politics, and and be, so like joined politics yeah. and you know joined the middle ground, I guess, more than anything else. Instead of you know, it would have made more sense for Garrett to run for the Greens, surely. Uh, yeah, but he wanted to have some effect. Yeah, but and I think that's the yeah. But really, I mean, how much how much effect can you have in a party that really just runs down the middle road all the time? Oh, exactly. I don't know. Back to the actual track. Species to Ceces as an EP yeah, and Hercules. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Four tracks of just absolute raw power. Raw power. The bad. Because I watched the Midnight Oil documentary oh, last no, year yeah 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 i watched it last year and I, I told you you should have watched it yeah yeah I did. people forget I... how powerful a live act that midnight oil well forget yeah, yeah. like forget the protests and forget the no 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 the, this is you just, know the environmental evangelism and everything like that they band. were a full-on rock band without doubt and they you know they were saying that like they had to nail the drum kits to the stage because they would hit them so hard that they yeah. would fall off they would Rock and roll, straight up. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of that is lost in sort of the, oh, yeah, the mythology of what Midnight Oil were, is that the overriding remembrance that we have or the overriding memory that we have of Midnight Oil is that, oh, they were a protest band. Instead of just being no, like a... No, they're they're a, just they're a, a good band. flat-out good band. Yeah. More than anything else. You know, write a good song, knew how to deliver a song, yeah. in the right way without overstaying its welcome you know you look at uh, some bands they just sort of really really sort of in your point but Midnight Oil made you think they made you listen yeah and yeah, obviously what yeah. they did first is they got you hooked yeah you listen and you go this is a good song and then when you've been listening to it a while you suddenly go oh, this oh hang on what is it? what's that lyric yeah. yeah yeah what's that about I want to know more and they uh, they definitely did that well I'm, yeah yeah. I, I love I love Midnight and, Oil, and I love that particularly. Um, I own that on vinyl. I I remember buying it in Kmart <laughs> when uh, Kmart sold vinyl. The best part about Kmart selling vinyl in the eighties, right, was I don't know who did their ordering, but there was always too much of it. Yeah. So you would always go in later, and and Get cassettes as well for yeah. that matter. And just buy it all marked down. Yeah. I you know, would have paid four bucks for that. You know, like, you go, fantastic. Mm. So, 
Um, the biggest shame of all was Kmart and others getting out of the music retailing. Yeah, business. yeah, I remember being able to buy they like just did not know shit about wild it stuff in like really out sort of out there stuff in Big W. Yeah, yeah. You know, it but not only that, it'd be marked down. Yeah, and you'd go because they go, we ordered a truckload of this, yeah. and nobody has bought it. You're yeah. Why? Why are all these Sonic Youth and Marilyn Manson CDs but marked down to like five bucks? Yeah. Because they just took a stack of exactly. them and didn't sell it. it yeah, was, yeah, exactly. Oh, no, I loved it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. And now, we we mentioned this, and I, I said it last night. I said, Dylan, um, Billy Bragg, Paul Kelly. I actually think it probably should actually be, if we're going to look at it in the 80s, it should be Springsteen, Billy Bragg, Paul Kelly. Paul Kelly, yeah. I... The three significant... Yeah. Yeah, singer songwriters of their nation and of their generation. Yeah, yeah, and and again, the track I've chosen here is literally, as far as I can recall, my first exposure to Paul Kelly. I reckon this is actually Paul Kelly's best track. Wow, um, it's simple, but it is so catchy. It is incredibly well written. It tells a story. Yeah. It is. It is Paul Kelly. This is. Any time I think of Paul Kelly, this is one of the one yeah. of the two tracks that I would think of. What's the other one? Oh, he's yeah. going to make the gravy. Oh, yeah, I'd make the gravy. Yeah. Oh, jeez, and that is a good song. Mm. Far out. Um, I, I think the beauty of it is, is that there's always a music for the moment. Yeah. So you can actually talk about, you know, like if you wanted to pick a mood, there's some songs to play for that. If you wanted to pick a particular vibe, you could, you know, knock out three or four of his more catchier tunes. Yeah. If you wanted to get a little bit maudlin and, you know, um, drown yourself in a couple of cans, there's some tracks for that. Yeah, yeah. So it is a good song. Um, I, I would would be absolutely hard-pressed to pick my favourite or his best. And you're you're the Paul Kelly aficionado uh, of the pair of us, so... Well, yeah, but... Like... But this, I just remember it being the first song I'd heard on the radio. Once again, I purchased Gossip, which is the double album that this came from, on cassette at Kmart at a ludicrously marked down price and played the hell out of it um, I later on replaced it on CD I might well have the cassette still who the hell knows um, but yeah it, it started off something for me where I've I mean I've seen him live squillions of times yeah four or five like not huge amounts but Every time I've enjoyed it. It's something Every, you would go back. Paul Keller's the kind of person you would go back for repeat live versions. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. There's something happening all the time with him. And yeah, no, I'm a fan, a massive fan. And again, it's probably not something that I've gone away from. It's 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 a good introduction to Paul Kelly. I think that you probably got hooked at the right time. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. So this is, yeah, this is... The, the, the growth of him too hmm. so I I count myself as very lucky in that I'm not someone who's just discovered him and then gone back and gotten the old albums or 
or whatever else. This is literally the beginning of him as he as he wanted to be, I think, because yeah. there's two albums, sorry, three albums prior that um, the first two of which he's not super fond of. No. So all, all, all the albums I've, I've had of his have, have been literally bought in real time mm. and, you know, a new album has come out and I've gone and got it and yeah. gotten into it. And so, yeah, I'd like to think that I almost sort of grew up with it. Yeah. And that's, um, but that was the start. Yeah. But I still, I still listen to his new stuff. I still seek out his live performances and so forth. I'm yeah. A, yeah. I'm a huge fan. I, I, and I think that's fairly obvious to anyone who has ever listened to our podcast. <laughs> we won't mention Paul Kelly. No, nothing I'm talking about on. On this podcast is actually probably going to come yeah. as any surprise. Yeah, to like we said earlier, you know, this is your this is your first love, and this is probably your first your first kiss with Paul Kelly, yeah, which yeah, has developed the romance yeah. beyond that. Yeah, you know, no, going forward, I heard that song, thought this is good, mm. bought the album, and never, never ever walked away. Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. Now, we said that um, born in the USA probably encapsulates and sounds like the 80s the most but would Graceland be have been the biggest album of the 80s uh, probably just yeah. just well, from yeah. you know yeah. because you you heard it, my parents heard it I heard oh, it see this is we were talking earlier yeah. about this would have been one of those relatively rare albums that are still um Still, <clears throat> um, still, sort of like where all ages would listen to it. Yeah. So, um, you know, um, people of, you know, our parents. Yep. Um, yeah, everyone was listening to this album. Everyone yep. was amazed about it. Everyone was in awe of it. Mm. it literally probably created world music perhaps yeah um, oh i think peter gabriel was getting into world music yeah probably a year or two earlier but certainly but this brought it to the forefront i mean everybody's just like, oh well pete's doing pete stuff you know and he's yeah. been pushing the boundaries with regards to like synth music and everything yeah, like that but this was just something something completely new yeah but at the same time pete's pushing world music in the uk which is a significantly smaller market. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can make it big in Britain and not be big in the States. But if you're big in the States and Paul Simon is clearly sort of, you know, American musical royalty. Yeah, but this is Paul Simon. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, like, yeah. Well, I don't think he's done anything better, but I, I I just remember, again, from the first time I heard You Can Call Me Al... And saw the video, which yeah, you it, it, yeah, and you go, "This is amazing," mm. and everyone's talking about it, yeah, like, um, and then yeah, you hear the rest of it, and you go, "Yeah," it's, and it's just, a, it's an album, Graceland's an album that still sounds fresh, yeah, I guess. Um, well, fresh-ish, I guess. You know, you can go away from. Graceland for 
six months, a year, and come back and listen to it again, and you go, oh, well, that sounds. I know what I like. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like it. You know, special. There's there's some stuff where you go. There's some certain '80s things on it that you go, yeah, that's. Yeah, it's, it's there's times in it where you just go, oh, that's quite '80s. Yeah, but it, does, it it certainly does take me back to a time too. So yeah, and I know I listened to it a lot then. I still love listening to it. I, mm. And I don't skip many tracks. On it, I no, I, I can't. Last time I listened to it, I think I went through all the way through. Yeah. You know, and... Yeah. You know, I, I associate sort of Graceland more with sort of my parents at the back end of yeah. their musical discovery. So, you know, you kind of reach a point where you stop looking for new music, or some people do anyway. You know? Oh, I know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they, you know, know. they stop looking for new music. They just sort of go, well, I've heard everything that I've I want to hear. I've heard everything I want to hear. Yeah, yeah and exactly. this was probably at the back end of their, yeah. their sort of that journey for them. And so that's what I always associate with listening to Graceland. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, for someone like you, what you're four or five years older than I am, yeah. So and then you know that's that's your beginning, your introduction into this, it. This so came out in about eighty six. Yeah. I so I'm fourteen, turning fifteen. So we're talking, um, yeah, very much while I'm, I'm I'm discovering and voraciously, you know, picking and choosing everything. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. It, it, it was it was huge at that time. Everyone was listening to it, mm. and I, I'm fairly certain I got a copy on cassette for my birthday or something yeah, like that. I yeah. was that keen to have it, and mm. I know very soon after that, as soon as I got a CD player, I replaced it with a CD. I yeah. was that, which and. In the 80s, or certainly when I got a CD player, the mark of an album that I really loved was something that I was happy to go out and replace the cassette with a yeah, CD. Yeah, You know, like that was, you know, that was big. Yeah. Because it was like, I've already spent the dough. Or, yeah, exactly, you know, like yeah. I'm going back for the, yeah, for copy number two. Yeah, on exactly. this, yeah. And I know I definitely did that. I have a CD and a cassette of this. Yeah. That's how much I, uh, I loved it. Yeah. So, I... But I think anyone who's listened to us would probably know that. Yeah. But so you went and saw you two on Wednesday. Yeah, during the week. Yeah. Does the Joshua's Tree still stand up? It stands up more now for me than it did then. Yeah. Right. So I, I would be happy to admit that it wasn't a favourite. Oh, is that because it's the most American sounding of their? No, I like it. Yeah. The American sound. I like that now. So I'm. I, finding it hard to turn around and separate me then to that. So I I, I guess I liked it. I liked probably the, you know, where the streets have no name. Mm. The, the the front half of the album, the singles, the, the that that came out, the yeah. Very commercial thing. The first three or four tracks are very commercial. Um but then I, yeah, uh, um, I think what happened is Rattle and Hum came out, and you two have got a knack for 
and they've done it twice that I can think of, of releasing a, a follow-up album literally in the cycle. So they did it. So they released Rattle and Hum more or less so they could keep touring the Joshua Tree. Yep. <clears throat> and then obviously they went away and they made Actum Baby, which is a... Yeah, and then they did Zeropa straight up. And they did Zeropa literally in that... In that movement, cycle, it was in the 18 months, wasn't it? Something so, like that, yeah. And I always feel like Zeropa is the Rattle and Hum. <laughs> rattle and Hum to Joshua Tree is, is what Zeropa is the to Actum Baby. Baby. Which... It's probably being very unfair on Zeropa, but I'm, I'm, I'm sticking by that because Rattle and Hum to me is just... It's a nothing album, is it? Oh, well, we affectionately called it Prattle and Crap. <laughs> it is a bit of a nothing album. It's And so I think by the time that whole process winds out, we're all heartily sick of you too. Yeah. Right? And... And you go, God, you guys are so up yourself. Yeah, you? yeah. That was always the kickback with you two, is they're probably yeah, just a little bit too big for themselves. So self-important. And now, right, and I listen to Act. Now, did that come about because of Bono's work with Live Aid? You know, because that was the period where Bono was getting all up in your face about being, you know, oh, we got to they, solve world hunger and we got to do this and we got to do that. No, and, Bono was that from day one. Yeah, that they didn't spring that on anyone. They've yeah, but he sort of reached sort of peak. That's peak Bono around so, that era. Look, this was just my feeling, so I kind of went off the and then later on I got into Actum Baby and then. Later on again, I started listening to the Joshua Tree again. Mm. And like I say, last week I listened to it cover to cover three or four times in a row and I've gone, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go, oh, God, I could probably... Not here, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah. Again, and and be, to be fair, reasonably happy with my lot in life. Yeah, yeah. But... Things like Trip Through Your Wires or Bullet the Blue Sky or um, Mothers of the Disappeared or yeah, you yeah. Know, everything that's on the sort of the back half of the album, mm. you go, that is amazing. Yeah, yeah it's, so it's, the album it's, stands up. It's funny how sort of the back end of albums, you know, they're, they're sort of underappreciated. I mean, we I discussed this, I think, with when we did... So, one that we haven't released yet, which is the the Nirvana Unplugged. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was talking about the back end of Nevermind, where, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. there, there are some absolute gems on the back end of Nevermind, but no one really thinks about them because the front end is loaded with, you know, yeah, smells like teen spirit yeah, and lithium yeah, and, you know, hits. yeah, th- that's what punches you in the face initially or grabs your attention initially is the front end of the album, you know, and then, but at the back end is where some of the gems are. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I, and I don't know for with Actum Bay, uh, sorry, with uh, um, with Joshua Tree, whether that's, hey, I've just heard all these songs on the radio so many times that I, they're so familiar, but whereas the stuff that's on the back end is yeah. hidden. But to see them play the whole thing live was was quite amazing. Yeah. I, I loved it. Uh, so... 
But it just reminded me, like, it was an important album in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. It stands up. I think I liked it at first and then all of a sudden very much got sick of them. But I think that's more about me being sick of them than... Than the actual songs themselves, wearing themselves thin. Now now I listen to it now and I go, yeah, that's... Yeah. That's a good album. Not quite ready to go back to rattle and hum in any way, shape or form. But you don't have to. You've got I Joshua Tree, so you yeah, don't need to. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got the main course. Do you really really have room for dessert? Not on that front. No. Not on that front at no. all. No. So yeah, no, so that there won't be any going back there. Yeah. So yeah. and then REM. Yeah. REM I don't associate with being an eighties band. No. Although and this is this is the thing. The, the biggest hit for REM probably came with Automatic for the People. Yeah, which is 1991. Yeah. So, um, but Green, which is the album this song came with, it came out in 1988. So I first heard them in the second half of 1988. And I, again, the first REM anything I bought was the 45 single of Stand, yeah. which is why this is on there. And... I remember thinking at the time, here I'd heard Orange Crush on the radio, I think, and I'd heard Stand, and thinking, this is so unlike anything that anyone I've heard of is doing. Yeah. So, you know, but that was that was they'd had that whole career, college rock career well, prior to that, hadn't so they? We're talking about here, as much as we don't, we think of them as a nineties band. They'd been going probably oh, since about 82, 83. Yeah. So, and again... They've almost got a decade under their belt. Yeah, and if you go back to their sort of their pre-green stuff, there's some now very well-known um, songs. It's the End of the World as We Know yeah. It. Um, Radio Free Europe. Um, Here She Comes, which mm. is the cover of the, um, the Velvet Underground. Yeah. Uh, um, there's Don't Go Back to Rockville I Am Superman Maps and Legends like there is literally four or five albums of like great stuff yeah yeah. hammering along completely out of our um, sort of uh, out of our sphere out of our sphere so basically I think Green was the first album they did on a major label and then so obviously it might have got a bit of worldwide release. Do you reckon we actually missed the best of REM? No, I don't. Huh? No. Oh. oh, that's a. I, I think that's sort of one of those things that you go. Uh, you can only say that if you're like a, a, a bit of a music snob. Yeah. Because you know, oh, you know, I was. Well, aren't the, we? I, well, yeah, we are. Of course, <laughs> we are. So I'm trying not to be that snob. Um, no, we didn't because at the end of the day, you get to go back and discover yeah. the older stuff if you like. Yeah, and, then, and then I guess we got Automatic for the People, which is the next album, which is, yeah, you know, it's probably clearly, I think, REM's best work. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. Monsters, oh, average, I, I, I don't mind Monster, but it's not as good as that, or even at. at as good as uh, out of time, mm. you know. So, so you know, again, they had a period there where 
Um, and uh, and I do also really like New Adventures in Hi-Fi. But by yeah. that stage, I think they had lost a bit of interest because they'd been going at it a long time. Yeah, like 30, were, 20, 30 years. So. Yeah, so that... Mm. And, and from there, you know, up and um, anything later than that. Yeah, they really sort of... The, the quality drops off quite significantly the later in the Aaron oh, look, career they, they, they might regard it as you know some of their final work but I just don't uh, I yeah, don't don't, don't, the, the don't subscribe the to that fan. Are, you, you were, are you going to say something about R.E.M.? going to Catholic concerts yes exactly there you go <laughs> there you go so worth it worth it yeah so alright so we've got 11 songs yeah, on yeah, yours yeah because I cheated yeah, well, you just, well, I wouldn't say it's cheating because yeah, this yeah. is uh, these are two sides of the same coin. So we've got so, we've got the Dogs of War by Pink, Pink Floyd, Floyd, which is off Momentary Lapse of Reason, and you've got the Tide Is Turning by Roger Waters, which is off Radio Chaos. Yeah, so, and we Googled this last night, yeah. and they're about seven weeks apart yeah, in yeah, being released. It's, it's, they're so close together in release times. Uh, most people would know that obviously Roger Waters was in Pink Floyd. He went to court to try and stop them releasing um, any more albums under the name of Pink Floyd or touring under the name. I of think Pink that, Floyd. I think the argument he used is that Pink Floyd was a spent creative force. Yes, and I dis- <laughs> I disagree with that. Yeah. I, I, and, and I think the sales disagreed with that well, as well. Yeah, we looked true. at the momentary lapse of reason went like five times platinum in the states. Yeah, and I think Radio Chaos sold like five copies. Or you know what? I, I I love them both. Yeah, I, I really do. Um, but I re- I really love momentary lapse of reason. Right? Yeah, and. You say that to someone who says, oh, they're a genuine Pink Floyd fan. And, and I saw something on Facebook today, how, where um, uh, basically the wall is 40 years old and somebody has put the post that their last <coughs> decent album. And I'm like, you are completely ignoring momentary lapse of reason. Yeah, see, I uh, stepped away from Floyd at the wall. Uh, well, again, the reason this works for me, I think, is... It was happening right there. Mm. So this has come out. The radio is playing it. My friends are listening to it. It is current music. So this is not stuff I've gone back and rediscovered later on. It was literally... And and The Wall could arguably be that as well. But I I mean, I was seven or eight years old when The Wall came out. What year did that come out? 81? Uh, 79. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so the movie yeah. came out about 81. Yeah. Um, well, I was never allowed to watch it until <laughs> the mid-80s, and with good reason, because um, it is pretty disturbing. But so we, we sort of got the... I like it because it was current. And I like Radio Chaos because it is it is a lot like a Floyd album. In that yeah. It's a bit of a concept <laughs> album. As we discussed the other day, you're not going to know the concept unless you read the cover notes, yeah. which doesn't work Don't in exist a streaming anymore. world. No. So, and I guess that's the thing. And I also read recently that it should have been <clears throat> a double album and maybe 
that would have worked or not, right? But there's it's some probably just another it. seventy minutes where waters can be more indulgent. Yeah, look, there's some good tracks on it. I really like this track. the The tide is turning. The <laughs> subtitle for it is After Live Aid. It to me it bookends the eighties quite substantially. That's a track though he does on his live sets yeah, now when he tours uh, the wall. Yeah, because the last track of the wall is so trash, grim. Yeah. yeah so, anyway, so I, I love them both. I would say I love Momentary Lapse more. If you ask me which album I listen to more, it's Momentary Lapse. Yeah. Um, I don't buy the fact that it's not as good as. Pink Floyd's other things. I just think it's it's Pink Floyd for that particular time yeah. and era. Yeah. So. Well, being I suppose that, that era where they moved into being Dave Gilmore's band, and it's almost like a, a third Dave Gilmore solo album, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you could argue there's the look band, bands move in and out of particular people's control. Well, Genesis is probably a yeah, classic so, example. Well, you know, it's yeah, gone someone from... will leave the band. Yeah. someone will step <clears throat> step back or or, or or let their duties go, or someone will just through sheer force of will um, take over. So, I mean, you know, the Beatles is a good example. They started off as John's band, and Paul effectively controlled things. And I think with Pink Floyd, obviously. Um, you know, starting off, Sid Barrett's in charge until yeah. um, till he loses his mind. He loses his mind, and then Gilmore's drafted into the band, and then there's probably almost a little bit of a power struggle for near on twenty years. But when Roger Waters is on top, they produce arguably sort of two of their best works in terms of um, Dark Side of the Moon and the Wall. Yeah. Um, but the, you've got um, wish you were here. Wish you were here there as well. Gilmore's influence was it? I believe. Yeah, I think. I yeah, think so. I I think Roger had more of a hand in that one as yeah, well. Yeah. So it was sort of I think Dark Side was more the collaboration between all four, and then from that point onwards, they've become progressively more Roger's band. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. the control of that ascends, and then at the end of the day, you go. Roger has lost control of the band. Mm. This now becomes Gilmore's band. And I was saying, maybe diehard Pink Floyd fans will say no to it, but I. But there's bits of it I absolutely love. Now, having said that, I, I couldn't tell you how. The sound of their later albums beyond that go the division bell and I think there's one other I think the division bell sounds very much like momentary lapse of reason but just released in 1994 right yeah and I I don't think I even bought a copy so yeah. you know maybe I should listen to it but but again like I say momentary mm-hmm. lapse works not because I went back and discovered it but because I was listening to it yeah. as a new album at yeah, the time yeah. and that's why it works so yeah. that's that's how it all goes. So, mm. we've talked a lot about the eighties. Let's, let's move from let's like move from the old stuff to new stuff. New stuff, but, but we like your old stuff more than we like your new stuff. Well, let's do yours first. Yeah, and because there's a, a band that obviously was big in the eighties, 
early 80s, late 70s. Australian pub rock royalty. Cold Chisel. You're not a Chisel fan. I'm not as big a Chisel fan as I probably ought to be. I, I must admit, I there's stuff I like. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Some of the songwriting on some stuff is brilliant. I... I wouldn't go and see them now if they reformed, which is interesting because they have. (laughs) And that's what this is about. They've released uh, a new album, or a new album is coming out. There's certainly a song out from it. Um, The first song we had is getting the band back together. They might as well just have made the song or titled the song we are specifically in this for the money that that seems how it is i it's horrible and we were discussing this last night it's terrible. which one of the cold chisel members needs the money the most we we seem oh, to no. think that it might be mossy i reckon it's mossy that needs the money because jimmy's got his he's got his book deal <clears throat> he's got yeah. you know oh. and he's rolled out for an interview on sunrise and every you know third or fourth week just to discuss you know past traumas and all those sorts of things don walker i think happily lives off his own royalties i think don walker comes across as being a guy that is incredibly sensible in the way that he's gone about his music career and you know he's always got you know he can always spend a little bit of time with tex if he needs to make a new album he can just hang out with tex for a bit here's the big thing right all of these people, in their own right, have been have had varying levels of success. Yeah, shall we say, post cold chisel. <clears throat> but if playing in front of a wild bunch of people who are absolutely wild for what you have to offer and extremely enthusiastic and have paid good money to be there, is your bag. There is only one way that any of them are getting that at the moment. Yeah. And that is as a cold chisel reformation. Yeah. Having said that, nobody that I can think of is going to be going there going, geez, I hope they don't they play, play this the new old track. stuff so that they can play more of their new Played stuff. Play some more of this new album that you guys have got out. Yeah. It's... No, play when the war is over. Please play Kaysan. Please play Bow yeah. River. Yeah, uh, let's let's hear flame trees as you go out. Let's have uh, breakfast at Sweethearts. Let's have you've got nothing. On yeah, exactly. Want. Let's have all the classics. So that that's that's the reason the album is questionable for mine. They will they will tour. They will sell out massive. Well, not massive, but they'll sell out big venues. Yeah. People of our age and younger and some older will turn up and go and watch it and it will be fantastic. Do you remember you remember that blog, What Bogan's Like? <laughs> no, I don't. No? I would imagine that Cold Chisel reforming would be a lead article now if this blog still exists of what Bogan's like. Oh, yeah. Bogan's like Cold Chisel. Bogan's love Cold Chisel. But having Bogan's said that, you know. I, I like Cold Chisel. There's the, like some of the their stuff is, especially, I guess, 
it, it's hard to describe because you, you can't really sort of move a part of cold chisel without thinking of like 75 drunken bogos singing K-San in a pub. And I've, 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 I've been amongst I've been, I'm, I'm, I've been amongst I'm not backwards and coming forwards and saying that I've been there as you, well. You've been in the forces. Yeah. So no doubt you might have even sung it on Anzac Day oh. with mates. Yep, I would have to admit that. On. Yep. Yeah. Or early on. Or early on. About nine o'clock after the fourth run. Yeah. So the music has its place. Yeah. But oh, I just I it's not for me. There's no, there's no, there's no point in in Cold Chisel releasing new music. I, here's the point. I can see why they would get back together. Yeah. I can see why they would do a tour because. There is no way any of them are going to fill the venue by themselves. By themselves, in the same way. No. So I can see where it'd be something that would be an attraction. What I can't see is the attraction of making new music. No. I just. And they don't. They don't sound like they're enjoying being together. Well, it, it just sounds this this track is seriously just sounds well, like I someone's going through them. No, I, I must admit I did not enjoy any of the time that I heard no. this track. But they surely at some point they're just going to go. Well, this is superfluous. We don't need this unless someone needs to me. more money. I mean, who's got the songwriting credits for this? Who's the person who's most likely to benefit from this song in getting? It's not going to sell massive. Is well. Songs don't really sell anymore. It's no, not going to stream massive amounts. No, I. You're not going to make your nine point nine cent per stream. It's not going to translate into squillions of dollars. No, on I this track. I, I, I don't. I, I don't know if that. But to me, if you want the, the, to me, the best reunion tour I've ever seen of a band that I liked at least was the Police. Yeah because they simply decided to get back together and do their greatest hits yep. and not bother us with any new music. And that was fine. And they didn't do any of Sting's solo stuff. No. They just went, we've had, I think they had five albums over, or four albums over the space of about five years. Yep. All of them bangers. And they went, great. This is, this is where the money's at. This, this is, is the cash cow. Is, We're going to milk it. This is what you want to hear. <laughs> this is what you want. This is what you get. Yeah, yes, thank you, Pill. Uh, so, enough said about cold chisel. Old stuff, new stuff. I don't even know why they're getting the band back together. Well, I do know why. I don't know why they're releasing new music. But Thurston Moore, Thurston Moore, Thurston Moore continues to release new music. I did threaten last episode that I would release. I would do a double old stuff, new stuff with Kim and with Thurston. I didn't put any of Thurston's album on there because it's three tracks over two and a half hours, and I thought, really, we oh, don't need we don't need to go down that road. Everybody knows the playlist is longer than the podcast. Yeah, everybody knows that I like a long sonic track, and but consequently, Thurston's come out and released like a a single EP, two sided single. Yeah, there's this, this and. Is- and there's another track on there as well, which is um, Leave Me Alone, it's called. And that's actually has Thurston singing on it. 
Yeah. Which is great. Is I I considered one or the or both, and I almost put both tracks on there. But this is very much Thurston continuing on that Sonic Youth sound. And to me, last episode we looked at you know Kim separating herself off from the Sonic Youth sound. She's still Kim. Yeah, she's still Kim, and she's still exploring sound as such but she's very much stepped away and doing her own thing whereas i think thurston is somehow maintaining now thurston has been incredibly prolific since um sonic youth broke up both actually both kim and thurston have been incredibly prolific since sonic youth broke up it's like that release of the tension has sparked some kind of creative juices and I really enjoyed Thurston's album, despite the fact it went for two and a half hours. I mean, that's the sort of music I can get immersed in and lose myself in and really enjoyed. And these, this single or double-sided single that is released is pretty much that dropped down to four and a half minutes. Oh, so it's a... Yeah, it's a, it's and, a condensation, and, like a condensing of... Yeah, exactly. Extended mix. extended mix. So this yeah. is... If you want a snapshot of what Thurston's been doing for and the last it, 10 years... I don't think no, so. No, I don't think so. so. I mean, some of the best Sonic Youth songs were not the 18 minutes of Washing Machine. It was, you know, the two and a half minutes of Good Thing or Cool Thing or, cool thing, you yeah. know, or... I, um, the, Bull in the Heather or anything like that. Washing machine because that's it's a great, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic track and album. But you you you, you could split it up. You could have the that that, you know the the song and then the sonic outro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's two yeah yeah, two two bits of it. Yeah, Yeah. you've got part A, part B. But Yeah. yeah, I think some of the best moments of Sonic Youth can be condensed down to three, four, five minute. Yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and they can explore a real sound within that four or five minutes. And that's probably what Thurston is best at doing. Yeah. Is exploring an idea and a shape of a sound within three, four, five minutes. Yeah. And that the rest of the stuff on Sonic Youth was the ability for um, Lee and for Kim to come in and explore on their own sounds as well. Yeah. So, I I really enjoyed this. I actually yeah, no, really liked good. it. Yeah. Um, Certainly, well, it, it's a throwback. It's stuff. almost yeah, it yeah, almost yeah, takes yeah. me back to a classic time of yeah, Sonic yeah, Youth. You know, yeah, and yeah. and that was part of what this playlist was. Is you know we go back and for me it was going back and in, you know rediscovering things that were in the eighties that I may have missed. Yeah. And. I'm constantly going back to Sonic Youth and listening to Sonic Youth and rediscovering things or finding new things in their music that I hadn't heard before. Yeah. And for me, because they're a band that's been going since the early 80s through to the mid-2000s, they've got such a a massive catalogue that you can dive back into it. And it's nice that, you know, Kim's doing her thing, although I didn't, you know, her album was really yeah, abrasive yeah. and difficult no, to get into. Listen. It was a hard listen, like I said. And I guess Thurston's stuff is more familiar. It's more comforting. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it it, it, it takes yeah. me back to a time when Sonic Youth wasn't broken up, where Kim and Thurston were married, where they were happy. Yeah. And 
I don't know. You sort of just sit there and you go, well, I'm just going to ignore the elephant in the room for a long period of time and in the fact that Sonic Youth are broken up and I'm just going to listen to this and think that everything is right with yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah, This yeah. takes me back to a time when everything was right in the world. Right in the world, yeah. yeah. and whereas if I move, I listen to Kim's stuff, I just go, oh, well, clearly Sonic Youth are not a thing anymore. Yeah. And that's 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 a personal thing for me because I'm such a Sonic yeah, Youth fanboy. Fan. Yeah. No, I enjoyed the track, but I I know where you're coming from. Yeah. So that's us done. Um, keep an ear out for our Nirvana special, which will be out. Might be out by the time this one's out. I would assume. I would so. imagine we'll release um, a one too. And then there'll be some uh, some other good stuff coming. Hopefully, some more album chats. But uh, it's been fantastic recording with you again. Yeah, mate. Pleasure. Uh, Great doing it live and over a couple of drinks, yes. That's us, cheers. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah.